The preceding message is brought to you by Kingsword Everywhere Nigeria. Stay tuned after this message for more information about Kingsword Everywhere Nigeria. Well, um, this morning I have a few minutes to bring you a word. And the title of my message this morning is How to Be a King of Kings. Now, I want us to pay very particular attention to that, what I'm saying and what I am not saying. How to be a king of kings, not how to be the king of kings. We have only one king, the king, one person who is the king of kings, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. But what do I mean by how to be a king of kings? In summary, um, I want to talk about how to lead in your God-ordained field, how to be a king of kings, a pastor of pastors, a manager of managers, a teacher of teachers, how to be a leader of leaders. I'm going to read my anchor text. We'll say a word of prayer and jump right into the message today. My anchor text, where I'm going to land this morning is Psalm 131, and I'll read from verse 1 to 3. It's a very short psalm. It says, God, uh, okay, let me read it in the New King James Version. Okay, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I concern myself with great matters nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a wind child with his mother, like a wind child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this time of just getting into your word and having you speak to our hearts. I ask, O God, that you anoint this word for your people. Impress what you want to impress on every heart. Let's live here with something that you have deposited in our hearts and in our lives. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. How to be a king of kings in your God-ordained field. How to be a leader of leaders. How to be somebody that occupies a space in a way that you are recognized even way beyond your time. Now, in the scriptures, we see an example of somebody who was definitely a king of kings. I'm talking about no other person but King David. David lived during his time and outlived his time. And even up till now, we still make references to him. There are about 1,100, which is 1,100 references to David in the Bible. Beyond what the Bible says about him in the book of First and Second Samuel and the book of First and Second um, Chronicles, we see him in the poetic in the Old Testament, in the poetic writings, talking about Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes in the prophets, in the gospels, in the epistles, and even in the revelations. Amen. 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 
Oh, I, did, I meant a man. Amen. <laughs> but thank you for your response. A man, but a man spanning through decades and generations. He was indeed the king of kings. Apart from direct references to David, there are also so many instances where his name is used to describe the attributes of something. Examples. Jesus was referred to, the, to as the son of David, right? We see that in Matthew 15, 22. We're not going to go to these scriptures, but you can take note of them and go back to check them. We're doing a bit of Bible study this morning, if that's okay. We read about the throne of David, another reference to David. The house of David, the faithful mercies of David, right? Throne of David, Luke 132, house of David, Luke 169. Faithful mercies of David, Acts 13, 32, and 33. The tabernacle of David, Acts 15, 16. The seed of David, we see that in John 7, 42. The key of David, Revelations 3, 7. The root of David, Revelations 5, 5. And the offspring of David, Revelations 22, 16. I was curious to find out what the difference is between the offspring and the seed. It sounds the same, you know. But um, whereas seed is a natural seed, which we see that Jesus was a seed of David, a natural seed of David. It was in the lineage of David. Offspring speaks, speaks of a character of somebody, someone's character, that someone has the character after another person, right? Which we often see in, in seeds, right? So you see a father and you see a son, and they may not even have lived together, but you see certain character traits just because there is seed, but there is seed also an offspring. I'm reminded many years ago of somebody we used to know, and for good or bad, right? We used to know in Chicago. And this person, this guy did not live, grow up with his father. He grew up with his mom, you know. In, he actually grew up in, with his mom in Nigeria until it was time for him to go to college. And then he came to the U.S. for college because he was born in America. And without having grown up with his father, at a certain age, he just started to manifest certain traits of that father. Was definitely an offspring of father. I wish there were great traits, amen. But there were traits that, <laughs> wow, very phenomenal <laughs> in a very interesting way. And it puzzled me because it's like, ah, this guy didn't grow up with his father, you know. His father was kind of a fraudster. He, was, uh, he lied a lot, was a fraudster, was a cheat. And, you know, so there are certain things that run in families. But this man, David, was such a king of kings that even Jesus was called his offspring. So there were certain things commended about Jesus that were tied to David. That's such a honor for the son of God to be tied to a man and to be called the offspring of a man. Right? So we see in the word that David was a king of kings. And I want to bring up two things about his life that um, are reasons for which he, today we still talk about him 
and there's still so much respect for him. In the word, God said that, David, a man after my own heart. Amen? Now, why was he a king of kings? It wasn't because he came from a very um, special lineage. It's not because he came from a great family, right? It's not because his family was known. He didn't have natural advantages in that sense, you know. Um, like my husband will say, we'll make reference to the gold spoon, the silver spoon, the wooden spoon, and no spoon at all. Amen? David wasn't, he didn't come from a special family. There's nowhere we see that Jesse's family was special, was notable amongst, the, amongst you know, um, all the families of the tribes of Israel, no. Um, and David was by no means special in his own family, naturally, just naturally speaking. In fact, it was, if there's an opposite of special, it was it. It was unspecial. How does a prophet travel all the way to your hometown and come to your house and say that I want to see your sons and they forget one. How many do you have? You know, you are not, unless you are like my, my, my husband's grandfather who had 23 children. Okay, so with 23 children, if you forget one, okay, we can, <laughs> maybe we can understand. <laughs> How many do you have? You have seven children, you forget one. So, and you are the David who happened to be the one to be forgotten. How unspecial can you be, amen? So there wasn't anything natural. There was no natural advantage he had. He wasn't a member of a special family, and he wasn't, spe he wasn't a special member of his own non-special family. But there were two things David had, and I'm going to quickly run through them today. In the book of First Samuel, chapter 16, First Samuel 16, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. So the Lord called Samuel and said, I have provided for myself. I have provided for myself a king among the children of Jesse. Therefore, take oil and go anoint him. So the first thing I want to point out is that David was anointed. Amen. Now, he wasn't anointed for just anything. Notice that phrase, I have provided myself. Amen. I have provided myself. This was God speaking. 
He told Samuel, I have provided myself a king. So go anoint him for what I have provided myself. Amen. You know, when God made us and released us, he provided something for himself. And that thing he provided for himself in you is what he's going to anoint. Um, your parents may have thought they provided for themselves something. And if we're talking about Nigerian parents, they may have thought they provided for themselves a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, an economist, a professor, somebody who is going to be a professor in the future. Amen? And it's great for parents to have great plans for their children, but we need to realize that those children are put in our keeping for something, for something God has provided for himself. So the first thing I want to say is that David was anointed for what God has called him to do and to be. Um, I was sharing this in Akure because I preached the same message in Akure. I said that, you know, um, somebody said it was a stand-up comedian that actually said this, so I, I'm copying it. Maybe not so right because I'm not as funny. But he said that they asked a woman, of course, a Nigerian woman, she was pregnant, and they said, what are you having? And she said, oh, a doctor. Amen. And so this Nigerian um, comedian said, like, Nigerian we don't have girl or boy. <laughs> we have what we have provided for ourselves. <laughs> but God is not confused. He knows what he has provided for himself. He knows when he made you what he provided for himself. And he told Samuel, go seek out my king among the children of Jesse. So it starts with what God has ordained for you and the place that God has appointed for you. It's so important that we discover what God has provided for himself in us. Amen? And many times it requires consecration because what God has provided for himself in us is not always what we want to be in our own natural self. You know, it's, it's a journey of consecration for all of us. You know, I came to launch a book written for past about pastors' wives. Amen. It's not just for pastors' wives. It's for pastors' wives to understand themselves better and for other people to understand pastors' wives better. I commend the men that bought this book yesterday. Like, thank you for taking interest, enough interest to buy a book that clearly, you know, to boldly take a book and be reading, and it's called Dear Pastor's Wife, and you're a man. Thank you for your courage, amen, right? But, you know, I dare say many of us that are pastors, when our parents gave birth to us, right, they weren't giving birth to a pastor's wife. They didn't send you to school to come out and be a pastor's wife, right? So some of this work requires a lot of consecration, a lot of, Lord, this is what you want for my life, and I give it to you. Sometimes consecration is done in tears, right? I mean, we see an example in Jesus. So if God has required certain things of you, 
where his plans for your life is concerned and you have cried, don't feel bad. Just when you, have done, you are done and you wipe your eyes, <laughs> nevertheless, <laughs> not my will, but yours be done, amen. Don't feel too weird. Sometimes consecration does require, so, many times consecration will require submitting your flesh, putting down your flesh and taking on what the God requires of your life because he has provided for himself something in you and he anoints you for what he has provided for himself. Can you imagine David trying to be something else? That anointing on his life would have been wasted, would have been compromised if he didn't occupy the place that God ordained for him. So number one, David was anointed. I'm talking about how to be the king of kings this morning. But it's not just enough to be anointed. Amen. The anointing is God's part. It's God's provision for your life. And many times we get anointed and we are excited and we think that's all there is to it, you know. But consider the fact that Saul was also anointed. Glory be to He was anointed. But can we say that Saul is a king of kings like David was. We can't. In fact, how many references in a good way do we have in the Bible to Saul? You know, after he went, he went, amen? If we refer to him in the sermon, it's usually, unless we are preaching about the first part of his life, maybe we are preaching about the fact that he, was, he became a prophet, I was counted amongst the prophets. What else? He was tall. Probably, maybe, no, not dark and handsome because he wasn't a black man. Amen. But you know, we knew he was head and shoulders above the rest. Yes, he was the first king. But apart from that, would you con- compare a David to a Saul? Would you call a Saul a king of kings like David was? No, you wouldn't. But was Saul not anointed? Saul was anointed. God did his part, but David did a part that Saul didn't. There was a David part. The same way there's a you part. There's a cooperation that's required from us. We cooperate with the anointing that we've been anointed with. And the anointing is not just for ministry. The anointing is for your workplace, is for your um, vocation, is for your business, is to stand and feel ground where God has put you and to really make it count for something, right? So God can anoint you for business. He could make for himself a businessman in that field that he has put you in. He could, right? So when I talk about the anointing, I don't want you to think about just holding the mic and standing by the, at the pulpit, on the pulpit and preaching. The anointing is relevant in so many different areas of our lives. Amen. But for that anointing to work, first I've talked about the God part. There's also a you part, which David did very well. You see, in the book of Psalm. 131, we see, we catch a glimpse of the kind of heart that David had. Now, it's not necessarily that he had this throughout, because as you begin to read that 
um, Psalm 131, you see certain things he learned over time. But you see that David, even starting from um, the get-go, he was a man of a particular, of a good heart. If God could say a man after his own heart, there was something about David's heart that God respected. You see, the heart is a very important thing, and the condition of our heart is very important. You could be anointed with all the anointing of this world. Maybe the last time Dr. K came to, to uh, I'm here in Chicago, Illinois. No, I'm not in either one of those places. Ikeja, amen. I'm very sorry. Amen. Try to be in my shoes. You have to adjust in one week. Amen. You preach, preach, preach. How many other weeks of the year? Saying Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. And then one week you have to flip it and say, Keja, see how well you do. Amen. <laughs> you know, maybe the last time Dr. K was in Ikeja, you know, in fact, everybody knew that service was for you. The way you were anointed that day, you flipped, you somersaulted, ah, you ran from here to there, you rolled on the ground. And it was obvious God came for you that day, you know. And now you are wondering, what's happening to all that anointing, right? There's a God part, but there's a you part. And that you part is what David did very well. Consider that David, by the time he, he showed up at that, um, in front of Goliath, he had already killed a bear and a lion with his bare hands. Amen? And nobody knew. How do I know that nobody knew? You are going, if you are going to face a difficult problem, right, who do you put in front? The strongest person. You don't leave him to tend the few sheep. If he can kill a lion and his bear with his bare hands. David said something. He said that my heart is not haughty. Let's go to Psalm 131. Back to Psalm 131. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. That is, it's so important. Especially when you know you have the hand of God on you. My heart is not haughty. David already had experiences that gave him an inkling, a clue that there was something great about his life. Amen? Firstly, a prophet seeks you out, calls you and anoints you in front of your family. Glory be to Jesus. I, be, I believe this was something David did right that Joseph didn't. Thank God God was still merciful um, to Joseph. But, you know, Joseph, he had a dream. He saw himself. He was looking great. He woke up. He started telling everybody, you know. There are some encounters you don't share too quickly. Amen. You don't share too quickly. I believe David did something here right that people like Joseph didn't, you know, and many people don't. The minute God begins to show you things about you, begins to lift you up a little bit, a little bit, 
Everybody knows. Amen? Everybody knows. See, matters of the heart are very important. It says, my heart is not haughty. And sometimes you have to work at it. You know? Many times people, people say that I'm simple. You know, Pastor, is simple. She's gentle. She's this. She's that. You know? I say, I work on some of that. Amen. I work on some of it. I work on that. I talk to myself. And sometimes you have to, because it's a human tendency. You see, haughtiness is not just an outward display. Because I could be simple and all that. And you say, I'm simple and I can be haughty in my heart. You just don't know. But God knows, right? When your heart starts to want to lift you beyond what is healthy, you work on it. Let's say I'm nowhere yet. I've not gotten there yet. Imagine David killed a bear and a lion with his bare hands. That was a big one. And for him to think that was where God was going to end, what is killing, what, where? Okay, so you have become shepherd of all shepherds, right? Now we know that no sheep will die on your watch. And it ends there. Because sometimes God looks at the heart before he sees where he's going to promote you to next. But this, these things are happening in the back end. And nobody is hearing about it until it becomes necessary. When it was now counted for something, he brought it out. He whipped it out in front of Goliath and said that a lion I killed a bear and you will go the same way. His brothers were probably wondering, when did, when did this happen? Uh, you this small boy. But it was okay for them to keep looking at him as a small boy until it counted for something. Until God put him on the world stage. And then it counted for something. It mattered. But in spite of that, he still went on to, to remain himself. He was in new way before time that he was going to be the next king. And yet the sitting king that had already been decrowned, he didn't know it, called him to come and minister. Just come and play harp for me. And he was humble enough to walk into that palace and play the harp so that the evil spirits, whatever was doing him, is... is <laughs> Could be exactly could be abated. This king was taking a javelin and throwing at you while you were doing your job. You knew you were the next king, and yet you still served him. You see, sometimes we don't realize that God cares about these issues of the heart. God doesn't just care about the anointing. He's not impressed. He's the one who anointed you. I can't go before God. I'm so anointed. I'm the most anointed person for that job. I'm the most anointed in that church. I'm the one that should be preaching. I'm the most anointed. And God is looking at you, put the anointing on you. I'm not impressed. I anointed Moses who parted the Red Sea. Which Red Sea have you parted yet? I anointed Billy Graham who won millions of souls for me. Which one have you done? God is not impressed by the anointing that he put on you. He gave it to you himself. What he's impressed about is the heart with which we 
conduct ourselves, the heart that we keep within ourselves. And it's the only one who sees it, right? David said, I am not hot, I have just a few seconds left. Neither are my eyes lofty. Yeah, the Obas we call it Okoi Iberaga. I want to impress upon our hearts today that where you are is nowhere. Maybe I mean we should be content with where we are at, but where we are at is nowhere compared to where God wants to take us and where He's going to take us. And there are certain things, and God will test our hearts. It will put us in situations that will, like someone says, God, don't you know how my heart is? Why do you have to test it? You don't know what's really there until you go through certain tests, right? So God will test us. He will test us with difficult bosses. He will test us with difficult leaders in church. He will tell, not in this church. Every leader in this church is just right. Even me, God has tested some people with me in Chicago. Some people have passed. Some people have failed. Amen. Glory be to Jesus. It's between them and God. Maybe they didn't fail. I'm the one who is thinking they failed. But it's between you and God. Right? God will test you. And will make sure that he has tested and proven you. Before he allows that anointing on your head. To have expression on another level. Amen? That's, I will, I will end here, and then I'll probably pick up from here in the second service. But have you learned something this morning? Yeah? As simple as this may sound, I hope we hold it and walk, because we'll need it for now, we'll need it for future seasons of our lives, right? There are times when I've felt something in my heart. Maybe God lifts somebody up, and then you feel, ah, me too. And then you have to go to your secret place and say, what's wrong with you? And pull it down. Pull it down. Someone says, no, 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 I have to, you know, you have to be careful about motivational speeches. Amen? Especially when they begin to affect your heart. Like, ah, no, 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 it's where you see, give me some common quotes. As far as you can see, yeah, you see far. But let your heart, we'll, we'll go in the second service, we'll go further down in that passage of scripture. See far, nothing wrong with, motiv- excuse me, nothing wrong with motivation. We need to, we need, mo- some of us need motivation. We're too lazy. Some of, all of us at one point or the other, we do need to be motivated. But when it begins to affect the heart, then we check it. Amen? We check it so that we can get to that place where God really wants us to get to. Let's go ahead and rise up to our feet. And I want you to speak to the Lord. I want to give you a few moments to speak to God. Go and pray in the spirit. Go ahead and pray in the spirit. We have a few more minutes for this prayer time. Right, I'm praying the Spirit. Mentre a jipre a zokoleke a varaba jipre tushti. Eke paraka sople di gere di a jipre di shite gere gete. Leke akuraba zempleni karama zekleke akataraba zipre dushta. 
Enke mandra doshipra azokle go ahead and pray mentre igavara ba jepre azokle ke yakatara ba zeple dikete levra jepre nusekele ke yakatara ba zekte ke dikete ligre dushta vala ke akura ba zekte ke reboshipra dushta in Jesus name we pray amen i know we've been talking about harvesting right we've been talking about harvesting in church and um the preceding message was brought to you by Kingsword Everywhere Nigeria. We are located at Kingsword Auditorium, Etel Avenue, behind NNPC filling station, First Bank bus stop, off Kudarat Abiola Way, Argun, Lagos. Email KMI Africa at Kingsword.org. Telephone 234-810-00. 00640.